<clears throat> uh, Thursday night we were in our small group and um, possibly, I, I will not share it tonight, but possibly uh, one of the funniest stories ever told to me was told uh, by an, an individual. He, uh, he opened himself, well it was actually told by his wife, okay, <laughs> about the individual, but uh, I, I just want to let him know this morning, because I think he, he may be on uh, some, uh, you know, uh, a shaky ground back there thinking, is Trent going to tell this story? Uh, no, Ricky, I'm not going to tell that story. <laughs> not, not this week. But I'm telling you, the moment there's an application in a message for that, with that story, that story is told, brother. It is a... <laughs> so uh, I do thank the Lord for... Uh, uh, for everything, I mean, for his goodness, for his kindness that is expressed in the lives of our brothers and sisters. Man, it's good, you know, to have godly friends, people that you can travel through life with, right, this journey of faith with, encourage them and be encouraged by them. Amen. That's, a, that's an awesome thing. So even before I go any further, to all the moms out there, happy Mother's Day, right? To all of you out there, who have lost a mom this year. My prayers are with you. And for every young wife out there, young lady out there that's aspiring to be a mother and has found that journey to be a challenging one, I pray for you that God would grant you the desires of your heart to one day be a mother. Amen? God is... God is good, and he has blessed us with our moms. Amen. Hey, if you would turn with me to Exodus uh, chapter 33, uh, we'll continue our study. Uh, we're only going to make it through, I think, around verse 12. Uh, after, uh, or verse, let's say, verse 18. Let's, yeah, we'll go from 12 to 18 today. But I am going to have to step back and kind of read some scripture, kind of moving us in that direction so we'll have a sense of, of where we're at. <clears throat> the reason we're going to stop at verse 18 is because God's response to Moses transitions into chapter 34. So it'll actually uh, be beneficial to us all once God begins to respond uh, to Moses to allow that to kind of be fluid as opposed to allowing the break in a chapter and a verse to constitute some type of uh, disruption, okay? So when we get uh, in here next week, we'll actually transition through 33 into 34, and when we're there, you'll understand why we did, did it like that, okay? Okay? It not, it, we're, we're not stopping at 18 just to shorten the service this morning. That's not the objective. And I know you're thinking, I hope that was it, but that's not it. It's for understanding. It's for clarity. You know what I'm talking about, Ronnie? So what we're going to do today is we're going to step back to Exodus chapter 33 and we're going to start reading at verse 7. Now, you're going to remember these verses because we went through them last week. And uh, there is, I, I do want to uh, uh, share a small qua uh, clarifier uh, this morning, Josh, as we work our way through that verse or those verses, okay? So let's pray that I, I, I would not stumble and stutter and and spill myself throughout this time, but I could at least attempt to articulate the truth of God in a manner that we can all understand and benefit from, okay? So let's pray for that this morning. Uh, I need your prayers, and you need to be praying for me. <laughs> so let's pray and ask God to do that, do that this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, I stand uh, before my brothers and sisters this morning, Lord, nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. That's where I'm at, Lord. That's where I feel in my spirit. So nervous, Lord, but ultimately it's not my desire to provoke, promote me, so the, the nervousness isn't directed in that sense, but the nervousness comes about understanding that I'm just a vessel of clay carrying eternal words with eternal gravity, and so each word is measured, each thought is considered, 
And Lord, I do not want to diffuse what your spirit is doing this morning. I just want to be a conduit. So Lord, this morning, draw a straight line with a crooked stick. This is what I pray this morning. And I pray, Father, your spirit would fill me in a manner that I could express the truth of your word to the benefit of the hearer this morning, as well as the speaker. Speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let, let's look at these verses, okay? And, and you, you'll recognize these. Verse 7, chapter 33, it says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Y'all remember this last week? Anyone inquiring of the Lord. Notice that it says anyone and not everyone. Not everyone was inquiring of the Lord. But anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to their tent their own tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. You remember last week when we addressed that or we kind of stopped there, man, and we just had a little, a little commentary on that and uh, we, we tried to explain what that didn't mean uh, with the, the knowledge of, of later scripture in chapter 33 where God says no man can see my face. And so we have to understand within the context of chapter 33 that this isn't the fact that Moses is seeing the face of God and he is speaking to God like this. It is the fact that God is speaking to Moses in a direct fashion. That is in a, in a manner unlike he had spoken to anyone else up to this point. And he's speaking to him with a level of clarity as a friend would speak word for word. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew actually renders this and would render this in the English as he spoke to Moses mouth to mouth. Many literal words of God would be deposited into the mouth of Moses. And you say... Well, Trent, where, where do you get that? How, how do you come to that conclusion? It's very simple when you read the scripture. If you go to Numbers chapter 12, verse 6 and 8, there's a commentary on, on how God communicates with the prophets and how God communicated with Moses. And this is what he said in, in Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. And he, that being the Lord, said, hear my words, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. So I want you to understand what's taking place here when Moses would come into the presence of Almighty God. God would speak to him as a friend clearly, directly, without rhymes or riddles. You know what I mean? Shoot, I mean straight, straight shooter, right? I mean, Moses knew exactly, he didn't have to decipher what God was saying, Right? And it says, then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Now, this is where we're going to pick up, and you'll recognize these verses. But we're going, to, we're going to dig into this a little bit this morning, and you need to stay with me. Because we're going to paint a picture of God this morning out of these verses that I tell you, if you'll open your heart and you'll open your mind, I'm telling you we're going to paint a picture of God that is so attractive that it's almost impossible, impossible to refuse Him. It is such a beautiful image of God. And I'm not talking about irresistible God. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an attraction in the person and identity of God that is just unbelievable 
And it's so enticing when we see him like this, okay? That's, what, that's the attempt, Kathy. That's what we're going to try to do this morning is to paint a picture, not a picture that isn't accurate, but a picture that is clear. It shows him for who he is. And that in itself, man, will just pull you in, man. Pull you in, all right? All right, let's look at this. And Moses said to the Lord, now we understand what's happening, right? They, they'd come down, he'd come down from Mount Sinai, the rebellion of the people, the, 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 the discipline of God, the lives of 3,000 men were taken. I mean, all of this is happening. Now God is saying to them, move forward. We got to keep on moving. The purpose, my purpose, my plan is still intact and we're moving forward, right? And so this conversation is happening. The scripture we just read, what I wanted to establish was that this oneness in this community that God initiated with Moses to where he could communicate with him in a clear manner to lead them forward. That's the reason we read that scripture. All right? Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Why is he saying this? Well, there's two reasons. Remember, God had said that he would no longer go with them. He couldn't be in their midst because if he was in their midst, their disobedience was so great that he would smite them, destroy them. Remember that? That's one facet of this. The second facet of this is Moses has never journeyed into this journey of faith by himself. As a matter of fact, when he had uh, 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 put himself out there to God and he had said to God, these are my deficiencies, one of his deficiencies was his inability to speak or, or, or communicate. And so God said to him, not only am I going to go with you, I'm sending someone with you to be the communicator, right? And who was that person? That person was Aaron, his brother. Remember, if you go into Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, this is what the scripture says, Ronnie. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your bro brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. Aaron was going to be his mouthpiece. Well, at this juncture, Aaron has become the conduit of rebellion. So obviously Moses is in that place, and we talked about being in that place in our lives where we feel like we're on spiritual, you know, shaky ground. Moses is now being directed to lead the people out. God has said, I cannot accompany you in such an intimate way because of your disobedience. And in the back of Moses' mind, you know, Josh, he must be thinking, Aaron's already disqualified himself. So who is it now? I, I can't go out there by myself, Right? You can understand that, right? You can understand that thinking. And, and this is what he says. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, check this out, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. That's what God has said to Moses. I know you by name and you have found favor with me. Now this is the God who spoke into existence all things that exist. Now, I, I, want you, I want you to get this, okay? When he says that I know you by name, the word know, typically in the Hebrew, the word know or knowledge of, to know, is the, is the Hebrew word yada, right? It's Y-A-D-A, -A, basically, yada. And it, 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 it does uh, express a knowledge of a person. But that's not the derivative that, uh, or it is, a, the, the word that is being used here, though derived from Yada, that's not the exact word that's being used here. When he says that I know you, Moses, I know you, it is actually the word Yada Taka. Yada, get this, Yada Taka. And it's only used in three different places in the Bible. That word is only used in three different places in the Bible. Chapter 33 it is used. And then it is used in Hosea chapter 13 verse 5 when he's speaking about a rebellious Israel and he says to them, I knew you in the wilderness. I knew you in the wilderness. And then it is spoken in Jeremiah. Now you're going you're gonna to know this one. So when I say to you, when I say to you the use of this word uh, yada taka is an intimate, intimate knowledge of someone. When we read this scripture out of Jeremiah, you're going to understand just how intimate 
God knowing Moses really is by just reading what Jeremiah says about this yada takah. And this is what it says. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before the fabric of your being was being stitched together, before the consideration of the DNA strands that would generate your life and guide your development, before any of that began to take place, I knew you, yada takah. And so when he says to Moses, I yada takah you, he's saying to him, before there was a sniff of you, Jack, I knew you. That is intimacy. I mean intimacy there. Thank you. The beautiful thing about it is you, you know, for you and, and me as followers uh, of Jesus and brothers and sisters in Jesus is the fact that he too yada takas us and knows us. Each and every one of us are known by God on that level. Oh man, I can feel the attraction that he would know us. Listen to this. The scripture, he says this, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. Favor with me. Now this is the, be- this is the beauty of God. That Moses finds favor with God in spite of the fact that God knows him. Oh, come on. You've got to understand what I'm saying. Literally, God knows you at the core of who you are and you have found favor with God. Right? The Hebrew word sin that is used right here for favor, is basically translated in three different ways. One is pleasing, one is favor, and one is grace. Listen, listen. Whenever the Hebrew, the Old Testament, is translated into the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is what the New Testament is rendered in, that's the New Testament language and dialect, whenever that word thin is used or translated into a New Testament rendering, do you know what word it uses for favor? Do you know what? It's the word charis. Do you know where the word charis is used? It is used in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 when it says, for it is by grace, it is by charis. You are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, charis. So what he is saying right here in this moment, he says, I know you. I've known you from the very beginning, and I've given you favor, unmerited favor. I've given you This isn't something you've earned, Moses. You're not in this posture or in this position by some working of your own doing. This is the charis, the sin of God. And the fact that he would give that while we hide from him in the dark corners of our lives trying to be stealth and only expose the good aspects of our life to him. He knows those dark areas. Okay, okay. He says, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. Listen, he says, if you are pleased with me, now we covered some of this, but we won't cover it some more, right? If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. I love this because this statement is almost like, I don't really know how I got this favor, but teach me your ways so I can continue to stumble on and find it. Right? You know, sometimes that's how we are as believers, right? We just stumble through this thing. We get into these uh, apologetics debates with people and whatnot, and we're saying, well, explain this whole grace of God. And you're like, I, I don't know, I just kind of stumbled on it. And all of a sudden, I knew that I was in a relationship with a God who has predis- uh, predisposed his own heart and his own love and his own generosity towards me. I can't really explain it. And Moses said, teach me your ways, Right? That's what he says. He said, teach me your ways so I may know and continue to find favor with you. He's basically saying here, he says, teach me your ways so I may know you. Listen, we gather in places like this. Valerie, we do. 
Sunday in and Sunday out. Man, churches around this area are full on Sunday mornings. And we gather and we sing and we give and we worship. But the question that I would ask every church in E-Town, in Kentucky, in the United States, in the world, is, is it our desire, is it, is it our desire to know him? To really know him. You know what I'm talking about? I mean to really know him. I ain't talking about knowing church or knowing the next worship song or know or memorizing the next verse. I'm talking about to really know. Is that our desire to know him? Right? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, the apostle Paul says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom, Sophia, the spirit of wisdom, Sophia, where we get the word sophistication, right? Sophia, that God would give you the spirit of Sophia. This, and it literally means the art of using knowledge. It isn't just with knowledge that we just uh, save up in an in a, in a intellectual account, but it's useful knowledge. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is knowledge applied, right? But this is what he says. He says, <clears throat> I pray to the glorious Father that he, he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Apocalypsis means an unveiling or uncovering so that you may know him better. He's literally saying in the moment that, that I'm praying through the spirit that God would uncover knowledge to you, unveil knowledge to you to be used. Why? To know him better. Right? That's what he's saying. To know him better. Paul's praying that. Moses is declaring that. I want to know you. Why do I want to know you? So I can find favor. I can continue to walk in this, right? In this thin, in this charis. Right? Right? Right, Trent. You're right. Right? The objective is to know him better right that's the object I want to know him so I can continue in favor because I want to please him remember remember the thin is rendered pleasing favor grace they're all interchangeable right and it's hard to please someone that you don't know that's the reason when you young men get married man you try hard man but you don't know her Man, and, and you start gambling with things. I'm going to try this. I'm going to, man, I'm, I'm smooth walking. I'm going to deliver. And boy, is it going to entice her to respond to me in, in a glorious affection. But man, you don't even know her. You buying her chocolate and she's allergic to it. You know what I'm talking about? You buy her roses and she's got allergies so bad. Right? And she just... And you, you, give, you think she's crying? No, her eyes are swelling up. An allergic response. You don't know her. Y'all remember, remember about 30 years ago, 31 years ago, 1992, there was a gentleman who wrote a book. And when I say this, some of you lady scholars out there are going to know what I'm talking about. Wrote a book, a guy by the name of uh, Dr. Right? Uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Gary Chapman. Anybody? Doctor. And it was called The Five Love Languages. Right? You remember this, the five love languages? And the five love languages were words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, gifts, and for most men, physical touch. Right? Right? And I'm just exposing every man in. I know your love language, guys. Man, don't try to snow me, Jack. All right? It's like four love languages for, for women, and then that one love language for men. That's just the way it is. You know, we're keeping it real right here. Kids downstairs. All right? All right? We're real. We're real. The whole book is predicated on being able to understand what language speaks to your spouse that generates a sense of communicating affection and love. But Chapman insists before employing any of these love languages, it is incumbent upon you to know them. Then you know what pleases them, right? What pleases God? I'll tell you what pleases God. Faith. Isn't that what Hebrews said? That's what it said. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith it is impossible to please God. That's where it's all predicated. Why do you think Moses, why do you think Moses was in party with all this beautiful grace? I'll tell you why. Because on the backside, Jack, 
of a shepherd's field, God spoke to him and he left everything to do what God had said. Left it all. Now he had issues along the way, but he had faith and that was the thing that constituted a place by which God would express his pleasure, his favor, his shin, his caress because of his faith in God. That's where it starts, man. That's where it starts. And then Moses says this, Teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And then he says, remember that this nation is your people. Oh, the humility of Moses. You like that, don't you? I like that. You know, my, my, my mother-in-law has, has been doing a daycare. She's been uh, uh, raising your children, right? She's been raising your children for like 80 years, right? Right? I mean, there's kids that are daycare. They're grandparents. Okay, maybe not that far. But there are children who have come through a daycare who are parents now whose children come to the daycare. Right? But I guarantee you, if you were to inquire my mother-in-law, this thing about your daycare, I believe that she would insist it isn't in my daycare. Kathy, why don't you retire? She'll respond with a, with, a, with a statement like this. Well, I don't think God's done with me there. Why is that? Because it's not her daycare. She understands, this is your people, Moses says. Right? You tracking with me? You following me? Kathy's going to say, Trent, you knew you shouldn't have insulted me like that with all those years. Shame on you. I've been in church there for two weeks now, and you're already blasting me from up front. Lord, forgive me, but I love her. She's my mother. Happy Mother's Day, Kathy, right? Okay. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. All right? That's what, Mo, that's what God replies. Now, now you, you and I are much like Moses in this sense. God just responds and says, hey, hey, I will go with you and I will give you rest. And what is Moses' response? If your presence does not go with us, <laughs> you're like, what? What? You know, some of you say, well, well, God told me this. And then two days later, you're doing something. And I'll say, what did God say? And you're like, what? I, I don't remember. I mean, literally, God just told him, hey, my presence will go with you and what? My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said, well, Lord, if you, if, you, if you don't go with me. Well, that's already kind of been resolved, hasn't it? But yet Moses is, is expressing to God his posture and position on the absence of God on this journey. And he says this, Kathy. How many Kathys do we have this, here this morning? Raise your hand, Kathy. We got one, two, three, four. All right, all the Jesses, you're now being outnumbered by Kathys. We have an influx of Cathy's into the sanctuary. Okay, okay. He says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. You know what Moses was saying? Moses was saying, your presence is more important than the promises, right? Than the death. Your presence is more important than the goal, the, the objective, the plan. Your presence trumps all of those things, right? He's basically saying the promised land without God's presence isn't the promised land, right? The land flowing with milk and honey without God's presence isn't satisfying. He was literally saying, Lord, if you don't go, I'm telling you, I'd rather stay here at the bottom of this mountain where you are. Right? That's, that's what he's saying. And then he says this. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me unless you go with us? You know, what Moses is saying this. Now listen, you and I, gotta, we got to get this, man. We got to get this. It is the presence of God that is the difference maker, right? It is the attractive element in our life that trumps everything else. If we start to focus on the provision of God and the, the, the resources of God as the attractive element to people, then all you're going to do with the material provision of God is draw materialistic people. With the promotion of God, all you're going to draw is prideful people who want to be promoted. But when you present the attractive element of God being his essence and his presence, then you're going to draw people hungering for his presence. And it isn't about the other things. Right? Listen, I told you guys this a hundred times. Today is 101. One of the people in my life who had the greatest impact on me 
was an older black gentleman by the name of Ollie Franklin. You guys know this story, right? The man was crippled. The man could not read. And he pastored a church. I remember week, I'd go there weeks after, day after day, and he'd be listening to Alexander Scorby on a cassette tape because he was raised in a, in, a, in a time in history where he didn't have the benefit that most people would have. And he literally grew up a, 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 a basically working on a farm, like a sharecropper, if you will. An older gym, and, and he would listen to those Alexander Scorby I often joked about the fact that he was the only black man I knew that had the same uh, accent that Alexander Scorby had. I said, Ollie, how did you get this English accent, this British, what's going on? You know, but he would pronounce things like Alexander Scorby. But it was, it was a testament of how often he had memorized those words. I mean, that stuff was deep in his mind. He offered me nothing. Other than the presence of God. And that hunger for the presence of God drove me to that broken down trailer. I remember taking Taylor, and she was probably four years old, and we had to dodge holes in the floor as we were going to the bathroom, the trailer. But I could go into that sanctuary, or it was a sanctuary. I'd go into that living room, and this old broken man would begin to quote scripture that he had memorized from, from Alexander Scorby. And from, he, would even, he even knew where to turn his Bible, though he couldn't read it. He knew if he was at this, in this book where he needed it. It was incredible. And I would sit there, and I would glean. I would, it was the presence of God in him. And Taylor, just a little girl, four years old, sit there, would not say a word. His dad just gleaned, gleaned, gleaned from the presence of God that resided in this place. Was he a perfect man? Of course he wasn't. Nor was Moses, nor was you, nor was he. But oh, tears would stream down his face. And the, I could see, I could see the, 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 the salt stains and the evidence, and you know what he used to say to me, Dave? You know what he used to say to me? And I was young, man. And I was young in the faith. And I had just started sharing God's work. He, he called me Trenner. He said, Trenner, sit down here and preach to me. <laughs> I said, Ollie, you got an hour? <laughs> That's verse one. And I'd sit there and I'd just open up the screen. I'd just start talking to him. Tears would just start streaming down. I felt like we were having one of those Elijah, Elisha moments where this young man of faith was being taught and disciplined, being taught, disciplined about the presence and the value of the presence of God. The presence of God was there with the holes in the floor. It was there in the ready, the ready exterior, the broken porch, That's the stuff that you and I have got to carry in us that we would draw people. And it isn't even us who's drawing them, but it's the Spirit of God in us that's drawing people. And so we have to ask ourselves, if we're not drawing people, is it because the Spirit of God isn't illuminating our lives to make us attractive? Let's move on. And then, and then he says this. Let me, let me wipe my nose. No, that's not what Moses said. That's what I said. He said, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and, you're, and with your people unless you go with us? Now watch what he says here. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the people of the world? All the people of the earth, what else? They look like us. They act like us. What else distinguishes us? John chapter 13, Jesus says this on the precipice of being betrayed. He says, a new command I give you. Monday, right? Monday. In the Greek, Monday, command. A new command I give you. Love one another. 
Listen to this. It's a new command to love. Now, he's, man, love's always been there, right? But he said there's a new command. Then he says something that's old. Love one another. But then here's the new fabric. As I have loved you. You know what he was saying? You couldn't love like that back then. Not like I'm asking you to love. Listen. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. You know what he's saying? This is the distinguishing factor. That the presence, my presence is in you in such a manner that you can love like me and it invokes a response to my presence in your life. They will know that you're mine. You don't have to wear the t-shirt. Your bumper sticker doesn't have to read this. It is your life that illuminates him. Or he illuminates your light in him. Now listen, a couple years ago we had gone to Washington, D.C. on a, a, a mini vacation. We were there for about four days. Four days. That's the only thing that kept me out of politics. I was there for four days. If I'd been there for two days, maybe. No, no, I'm just kidding. We go down there. And we end up going uh, to a basketball game while we're in D.C. And we go to watch the Washington Wizards play. John Wall was with the Washington Wizards at the time. and So we wanted to go there and cheer on our, our Kentucky alumni and whatnot. But while we were there, it wasn't just the Washington Wizards. They were playing the Boston Celtics, the devil's team. You know. I don't want anyone to get into that Celtic stuff. I'm <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Trenton got into that nonsense, that craziness. Okay, I'm just kidding. Sort of. All right, all right, all right. And so we go to this game, and it's Celtics, Wizards. After the game, we're coming out. Now, Clark, being a big New York Knicks fan, right? He loves his Knicks, right? He's sporting this gaudy orange and blue New York Knicks shirt. Now, we're going in a venue that's full of Washington Wizards and Boston Celtics. Now, you didn't have to tell anyone in that building that Clark Evans was neither for the Celtics or the Wizards, though his team was not, was not in town. He was making it quite obvious that he was with the New York Knicks. Don't ask me how. It's just the providence of God, I guess, a curse. A, it's a thorn in his flesh he must deal with. But the grace of God is sufficient for him to be a Knicks fan, right? And so we're leaving the arena. We're going in the back parking lot, and there's this guy. He sees Clark in the New York Knicks. He said, hey, hey, you're a Knicks fan? Clark, yeah. Right? Like he needed to tell anybody. Right? He said, where y'all from? I said, Buffalo. He's like, Buffalo, New York? I was like, close. <laughs> I was like, Buffalo, Kentucky. But he automatically said, but what I'm saying to you is it was so distinct. It was so clarifying where Clark's allegiance lied, right? But what he wore in that situation. You and I wear what? The righteousness of Jesus. We carry it out there. We are clothed in his righteousness, right? And so wherever we go, whatever we do, there ought to be someone saying, hey, 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 you look like, you smell like, you act like, you must be. Walk like a duck, quack like a duck. You must be a duck. You, you got that, that Jesus aroma about you. That sweetness, you know, the genuine goodness, Right? Right? Do you get what I'm saying? The distinction. Okay, let's. His presence distinguishes us. All right, move, move forward, Trent. You're, it's getting hot in here and I'm getting sleepy. All right, all right. Now we're going to close. We're closing. Sort of closing. We're in the closing verses. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked. And what did Moses ask? Oh, I just want your presence. I'd rather be here. Yeah, I would give up, give up everything. Now watch this. This is the weird thing, man. This is the weird thing. This is God exposing himself right here. And he says, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Do you remember when I was talking about the word for favor and grace being thin, thin in the Hebrew? 
akin to the Greek charis for grace, right here in this rendering, pleased, it is the same word. Let me suggest this to you. Let, let's, let's just, let's think this. Let's, God is saying, I will do everything you have asked because I am favorable towards you. I am gracious towards you. I am pleased with you. What God is basically saying, I want you to track with me. I'm pleased in giving you favor because that's where the pleasure came from was the caress, the thin. He says, that part of you is what pleases me. That is what pleases me. That is what pleases me. Is that you've responded in faith to create a place by which I can express my favor, unmerited, grace, caress, thin, pleasure in you. What I love about you is me in you. Do you not get this? That's what he's saying. I so love me and you. That is beautiful. I love you've given a place for me. Oh, how pleasurable. Oh, how pleasurable. And then he says this. Because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. It comes right back, right? And all of a sudden, you get this thing, man, Moses is looking out. This is so crazy. This is so great. God's revealing himself. And he's saying to Moses, the me and you constitutes this place where my pleasure can be expressed. And so it is in you and me as followers of Jesus. There's a deposit that he makes in us. That when he looks at us, you know who he sees? You know, I didn't sneak it in on. You, you know, right? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And what God reveals of himself is that he's a God who pleasures in administering and extending his grace to a place that will receive it. Now you get this. If you get nothing else, you get this. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. Get this if you forget everything. I thank Christ, Paul speaking, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I once, I was once a blasphemer. Any blasphemers? Did your life look like blasphemy? Oh, and I know you. I was once a blasphemer. I was once a persecutor. And I was once a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and in unbelief. And listen to this. Get this. This changes everything. The grace of our Lord Jesus was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Listen. This is it. This is the diamond. Abundantly. Abundantly. Hooper play a not so. Yeah, yeah, R run that one back three times. Hooper play a not so. Hooper means beyond, above, beyond. Play a not so means what can be numbered. He is saying the grace of God has been extended to me in an infinite measure beyond numbers, beyond measurement. There is no way to buy, to top out the grace of God. It is infinite. And I remember the, 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 the famous astronaut, one, and I ain't talking about Buzz Aldridge. I'm talking about Buzz Lightyear. When he, if you could take the words of Buzz Lightyear and say, what about the grace of God? I believe Buzz Lightyear would say what? To infinity and beyond. 
That is the grace of God. That's the only way you can describe the grace of God. And Paul describes it in such a manner as would Buzz Lightyear. Oh, the grace of God. I've exhausted the grace of God. Oh, don't speak so foolish. I've rendered the grace of God void and unapplicable in my life. Oh, don't be so foolish. Trent, could I surely be scraping at the bottom of the barrel of God's grace? Man, you haven't even come close to reaching it. The grace of God is in excess to the extent that, that you can never approach it. Paul said, abundantly, beyond counting, is the grace of God. <laughs> no wonder Moses, understanding God's response to him, then says in verse 18, now, and if you read in the Hebrew, it's literally, I beseech ye, or I pray, or I ask thee, show me your glory. He's literally in this moment understanding that the grace of God is infinite, beyond, I mean to eternity. I mean, he understands this. And in this posture, he then looks at God and he says, having seen and experience everything that he had seen and experienced. He looks at God and he says, show me more. If that much grace is available, then I want all the grace that I can take in for myself. Oh, no, we gather in a place like this and some of you are carrying shame and some of you are carrying guilt and you wonder Does God have a, a mulligan for me? Can I, can I get back in? Can I get my heart back? Can I come on back home, you know? Whereas God looked at me and just said, you've squandered enough. I'd say to you this morning, come to the Father and ask Him in His goodness. Give me some of that thin, some of that caress, some of that favor. Oh, God created me a place by which your pleasure can be expressed. Yeah. Give me some of that. Give me some of your glory. And I tell you this morning, if you'll give him a place through faith to express his goodness and his abundant grace into your life and to fill you up, man, hooper, above, beyond, overflowing, he'll do it. He'll do it. He'll do it. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to ask you guys to stand. And when we stand, I'm going to ask you guys, listen, out of courtesy to one another, because you guys know how I feel about this. I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, bow your heads as Carrie comes. And I'm asking you to close your eyes and bow your head, not because something nefarious is happening. I want you to enter into a darkness of your own prayer closet by which your mind is focused upon God and God alone, and it's not distracted by your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, the guy in front of you, behind you, to your side, right or left. But you're in that closet where you're speaking with God. I want you to do that this morning. And if your heart's in that place where you feel like you've exhausted the grace of God, and you can conjure up the spiritual fortitude to ask one more time for a double portion maybe, one more time for an outpouring, one more time for God to apply his goodness and his grace to you. We've painted this picture of a God who extends grace recklessly. You know what I mean? 
Stand with me this morning. Stand with me. The very thing that I've asked you to do, I ask you to do it now. Husband, wife, son, daughter, mother, father, your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Don't, don't burden yourself with a person beside you, behind you, in front of you. This is between you and God. Between you and God, my brothers, my sisters. And so in this moment, enter into that place, into that, that place of prayer in your own heart. You just ask. Do you got the courage to ask this morning? Do you got the courage? Do you, do you, do you have the humility to say, I need this? Do you have the wisdom to understand you can't do it on your own? You've never been able to do it. I've not been able to do it. You can't do it. None of us can do it on our own. We all need his strength. We all need his grace. Is that you this morning? Is that you? Hey Amen. I'm just another brother trying to encourage you to experience grace, infinite grace this morning that covers your mess, that covers my mess. And if that's you this morning, I say to you, come on. You can, you can pray around one of these altars. Amen. Hey, I'm, I'm a pragmatic cat too, man. I'm a reasonable person. I'm the individual, man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm reason, I'm logic. But man, I know that logic and reason is exhausted at the cross. And it can only take you so far. But Jesus can take you to the finish line. I'm telling you, he can do that. And so I ask you this morning as you pray to consider, and these altars are open for you, for you. As Carrie sings, it's your invitation. Not to come to me, but to Jesus, right? To the Father, all right? In Jesus' name, Lord.